0: When I was a young Christian, a new follower of Jesus Christ, I remembered that there were people who came into my path that God moved through. And today we're going to continue our Christmas series, and it's called this, God Moves Through People. And the idea is this, that God is always moving. I shared a story last week about being this West Texas boy showing up at the Pacific Ocean at Corona, Corona Del Mar, which is a little beach a little protected beach not far from Balboa and Newport there in Southern California. And I remember running out into the water thinking, this is amazing. And the only beaches I'd ever been at were in the Gulf of Mexico and, uh, and in Florida on the, on the uh, Atlantic side. And it, the water was warm there, but we ran out into the water and it was ice cold. I, I had not planned to do a polar plunge during July. But uh, I found out real quickly that, that that water was really cold. But here's something else I found out, is that there is an undertow, an undercurrent that is constantly moving, even though you cannot see it on the surface. All you see is the waves coming in, but what you don't know is there's another thing going on, and that is what reminds me of how God moves much of the time in our lives, I want you to know something, that God is on the move in your life, through your life, around your life, and around those you're working. He is constantly moving. We're going to see that in Scripture in just a minute ago, in just a minute. But I want you to know something. He is always moving. Always. Even when you can't see it. And so as a young Christian, a new follower of Jesus, I had just stepped over the line. And I remember going to church, and they were talking in a foreign language called Christianese. Now, we use a little Christianese because I've picked up a lot of that over the years. And unfortunately, sometimes I forget when to turn it off and when to turn it on. And so someone who's not churched and didn't grow up in church, hasn't been around church, which was how I was, they'll hear us talking. They'll go, I have no idea what they're talking about. But God will bring people into your life. And he brought Steve Gardner into my life as a young Christian. This would have been around 1981, 82, way back in the day. And I remember listening to new Christian music by Petra, a Sweet Comfort Band. There were all these bands coming out in music, and I loved it. But a lot of their language is Christianese too. Phil Keggy, all this early stuff. And, And I was like, a lot of this I've got to learn. I'm trying to pick up on it. Steve came along. He had just graduated from Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, moved back to Lubbock to live with his parents and figure out the next season of his life after graduation. And he took me and several guys under his wing, so to speak. And every Wednesday night after prayer, after our prayer service, remember prayer services on Wednesday night? Anybody remember those? I was always the youngest one there, but I was there because I was so hungry for God. I didn't care what was going on. I just wanted to be where God was and where people were talking about God. And so after that, we'd meet at his house. He lived in the Tech Ghetto, which is now a really cool place called Tech Terrace in Lubbock, right outside of Texas Tech. And we would meet in his house, and he would unpack the scriptures for us unpack Christianese, the language, the language of the Christian culture. And I was learning and I was growing. I was so excited. And I am thankful for Steve Gardner. He is somebody that God put in my life and God moved through. Who has been brought into your life through which God has moved? Fast forward a few years. We're pastoring in in Abilene, Texas, at Grace Point Church. Beautiful church, multicultural and a non-multicultural community. And here we were, 45% African American, 30-plus percent Hispanic, and then me, the white boy, the, the other. I was an other. And here I was, the lead pastor, trying to figure out what was going. And it was like plowing cleachy. I mean, it was just like just a hard go. And we were always laboring and laboring and laboring and not seeing a lot of fruit on the surface. And I got a call one afternoon from David McQueen, the pastor of Beltway Park Church there in Abilene. Great pastor, great church. David called me and said, Jimmy, I've got three guys in town, and would you like one of them? It's R.T. Kendall, Charles Curran, and Dr. Jack Taylor. I said, I'll take Jack Taylor, please. And he said, he said, I've got them here for, they're doing a Word, Spirit, and Power conference, and, which we did attend. And they need a place, to, or they'd like to preach on Sunday at, at any of the churches. And would you, I said, I'll take Jack Taylor. So I went over, and Annette and I picked up Jack and Frida. I'll never forget it. It might as well have been the President of the United States. I mean, it might as well have been the celebrity, uh, the hero. He had written a book called The Hallelujah Factor back in the 70s that was impactful. Back in the 80s, he pastored Alamo Church, and there was a move of God, a revival in San Antonio. Then he, later, he started the Anchor Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they experienced revival. He later became president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and there was revival. God was showing up, and the Holy Spirit began to blow through that denomination. Now, I know because I was a student at Howard Payne University it's Southern Baptist in the mid-80s, And the Holy Spirit, there was a fire that blew through that place. And it was through men like him and Peter Lord and others who were Southern Baptists who found the Holy Spirit and introduced the third person, lesser known person of the Trinity to a bunch of folks and God showed up. And so that man was a hero to me. He was a giant to me. He was a general to me. And for him to be sitting in my car, I was like, I'll never wash this car again. I, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was literally starstruck. It was hilarious. But, I, but he was just one of those giants in my life who had impacted me indirectly. He didn't even know that he had impacted my life, and yet he had. And he was so wonderful to us. And so we, we had a wonderful evening together. And then we brought him back a few months later because it was so impactful. And we wanted to know him. And we hit it off and had this relationship with he and Frida. So we invited them back. And they came back to our church and gave us several nights. And on one of those nights, we had been serving them. We had done a dinner for them. We were just trying to honor where honor is due. Honor, honor, honor. And what I didn't know is that he had planned something for us. And what he did was he... he uh, had everything moved off the stage, and he put two chairs up here, and he stopped the sermon. We were like, oh, uh, it's awkward. What's going on? And he called me and Annette up on the platform, and he sat us down in a chair. And he and Frida, well, then he did a weird thing. He said, would you take off your shoes and socks? I'm like, uh, really? Yeah." I didn't know what he was going to do. He was going to wash our feet. And our, our guys knew ahead of time, and they brought out a couple of wash basins of water, and there were some rags and towels, and they washed our feet in front of our congregation. They honored us. We were trying to honor them, and they threw double honor back on us. Steve Gardner was a spiritual marker in my life through whom God moved. Dr. Jack Taylor was another spiritual marker in my life through whom God moved. Who are those people in your life through whom God moved on your behalf? Count them. Think about right now who has impacted your life. Who has brought teaching? Who's brought word? Who's brought life to you? Who's brought Jesus to you? That you, when you think about them, you smile. When you think about them, you get a warm fuzzy. It's a nostalgia that's a good thing and something to be valued and honored. God moves through people. And I look out upon you this morning and I go, God is moving through you. And you may not even know it. It may be like that riptide, that, that, that rip current under the surface that you can't even see. But God is working through you. I dare say, for those of you who have been riding with us for the last two or three years, if we were to have a spiritu- the ability to spiritually mark your growth, to physically mark it by coming up to a doorpost and saying, this is you last year, this is you this year. I would dare say most of you have grown. Most of you are growing, and many of you don't even know it, but those around you do. They perceive that God is moving through you. I don't know if you all remember the story, but I love C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. I have been through the wardrobe. Anybody else? Oh my gosh, what a great story. If you've not read it, at least watch the Walt Disney version of it. It's beautiful. Well done. But I love the story. These three children are basically orphaned during wartime. They're sent off to live with a relative, and they're in this strange, large, sprawling mansion, and they find this room that they're not supposed to go into, typical kids, and they go into it, and they find a wardrobe, and when they go through the wardrobe and into it, Lucy, the youngest of them, actually stays behind, and she goes all the way through the wardrobe, and she comes out on the other side into a whole other world. Unfortunately, at that time, it's a world covered in ice and snow because it's under a curse. The Ice Queen, a type and shadow of Satan, has the world in its spell, in her spell. The journey starts. She meets Mr. Tumnus or Tumnus, and and this whole thing begins to unfold, and it turns out that the people of the land that are under the curse are awaiting someone. They're awaiting their Savior, and his name is Aslan, and he's a lion. And as they start on this journey, they run into this awkward, interesting little couple named Mr. and Ms. Beaver, who are actually beavers. If you've never read it, you're going, oh, I have no idea what he's talking about. So picture two beavers having a conversation with you, and they're having a tea in the beaver's dam, which is their house, And Mr. Beaver says this, Aslan is on the move. And that brings hope to the land. See, they have a living hope. We sang about that, a living hope. And that hope is that Aslan's on the move. Our hope is that God is on the move right now, in our midst. And I look out around here, and I see God in you. I did this last week, and I I was so overwhelmed as I looked out, and I saw God, he's working in you and through you. And some of you don't even know it, but he is. I don't know if you've ever been out in a rip current before, but you can be hopping up and down and not know that you're moving two feet every time you hop up. That's what happened to me. I looked up after a few minutes of playing out in the water, West Texas boy, right? Not a clue. And the beach didn't even look the same. I'd moved several hundred yards down the beach. Like, where am I? What happened? I was moving and didn't even know it. God's moving in your life. He's working in your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, let me tell you something. He's still working in your life. He's moving on your behalf. He's orchestrating events for a collision between you and the kingdom of God. And He's looking to redeem you back to Himself so that you can have a relationship with Him and find meaning and purpose and a reason to get out of bed on Tuesday morning. He's working on that right now, but he's going to use people in your life. It may be somebody you met in the hallway here. It may be somebody, maybe somebody like me or Russ speaking or singing. It could be you meeting somebody in aisle four at HEB, which I have no idea what that is anymore. <laughs> Neither does anyone else. So <laughs> Since they rearranged. So I want to encourage you, Aslan's on the move. Listen to this, the word move, I love this. We're talking about God is on the move. Listen to the word move. To go or pass to another place in a certain direction with a continuous motion. God is always moving. Always. Continuous motion. Never stops. To take action or to act. To dislodge or displace from a fixed position. Mind you, you need to know this. God loves you so much that He meets you where you are, but He will not leave you there. He will dislodge you. He will dislodge you. you. He'll displace you. From a fixed position because he wants you to move too. I'm telling you. The only thing that's constant in the kingdom is change. (laughs) It's going to happen. It's coming. He's going to change your life and the trajectory of your life. Listen to this. To cause to advance. Oh, I love that one. To rouse up from inactivity. Listen, you will never coast in the kingdom of God. It's like riding a bicycle up a very steep hill. The moment you stop pedaling, you stop for 30 nanoseconds. And then you're going backwards. I know that because I've learned that by experience. You don't coast uphill. And I'm telling you, this journey of the kingdom, you're constantly moving, you're learning new things, you're growing. Now, let me tell you something. There's challenges along the way. There's twists and turns, there's hurdles, there's obstacles, there's things to overcome. But let me tell you, He will bring people along the way to walk with you on your journey, and some will only be with you for a short time. Some will walk with you for the rest of your life. But mind you, God will work through people. He is on the move. And you, no doubt, maybe some of you in this room have been that for somebody else where you came alongside them, and it might have just been for a season. But make no mistake, God is moving. All right, we're looking at John chapter 1. And we're talking about Christmas, this idea that God is doing something amazing. And here it is. I love this from Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrased translation of the Scriptures into the message. And he, he says this, The Word, Jesus became flesh and blood. In other words, Jesus put on an earth suit and moved into the neighborhood. There's a word for this. It's called the incarnation. I'm not talking about the flower, a carnate. We're talking about a theological term that may sound like it's got a lot of headroom, but let me tell you what it means. It simply means this, that Jesus was with the Father and he let go of that, Philippians chapter 2 tells us he let go, he released it. He saw deity as something not to be held onto or grasped. He willingly came onto this earth to be born as a child. Hence, we get the Christmas scene, the manger scene, the beautiful, amazing story, the epic adventure of Mary having, coming along and having a child. And an interesting thing happens, and we're going to talk about this guy named John not John who wrote the book of John, but John the baptizer, not John the Baptist. Spoiler alert, he was not a Baptist. When I was a new Christian, I thought forever, man, John's one of us. This is so cool. He's a Baptist like me. I didn't even know I was a Baptist until somebody told me. And the only reason I was was by osmosis because the guy who led me to Jesus was a Baptist. So that made me a Baptist. I'm like, I don't care what I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. You can call me what you want, but I know what I am. And then I was a Baptist. And then I found out John was a Baptist. I was kind of excited about that. Then later, I found out, no, he was a baptizer. It's what he did. He was a forerunner. We'll see that in just a minute how that works. But I want you to have in your mind this. Jesus coming to this earth is what's called the incarnation. In fact, look at this. Incarnation literally means the embodiment of a deity or spirit in some earthly form. Jesus comes to the earth, puts on an earth suit, and becomes a baby in a manger. The union of the divine. This is kind of big words, but I love it. The union of the divine with humanity in, by, and through Jesus Christ. He became flesh. And dwelt among us for 30 years, mostly unseen and unknown. For 30 years. He moved among us, he trafficked among us, he lived among us, he functioned among us, he grew up among us, and most didn't know. His mom, though, on the other hand, Mary, she pondered these things and treasured these things in her heart. She knew what was up. Hugh Halter loved this book. It's called The Tangible Kingdom. And I, I recommend a lot of books here. I've read a lot of books through the years. And this is one that I, I'm going to double-dog dare you, uh, dare I go triple. Triple-dog dare you not to read The Tangible Kingdom by Hugh Halter. It can be found on Amazon, Kindle, whatever. Don't read it, whatever you do. I'm using the Bill Loveless moment here. Do not read that book. I read that book, and about halfway through it, I'm sharing it with Annette. This is years ago. She goes, you need to quit reading that book. It's dangerous. Well, of course I stopped reading it, right? No, I was like, that made me want to read it more. It was amazing. It was a game changer for me. And in that book, The Tangible Kingdom, he's talking about the whole principle is that people becoming the incarnation of Christ and incarnate people. A people where Christ is living His life not only in them, but through them. You remember this. He died for you so He could give His life to you. Help me somebody. So He could live His life what? Through you. Through you. He wants to live his life through you. He wants to accomplish the kingdom through you. He wants to live through you. Not just in you. Not just for you, but through you. That is the incarnation of Christ. So listen to this. He has these habits, he calls them. The third habit of incarnational people. Okay, he's got several. And here it is. The habit of living among means participating in the natural activities of the culture around you, and I love this word, with whimsical holiness. And I'm going to define that for you because some of you are going, I don't have no idea what he's talking about. But think about what he's saying. The habit of living among means participating in the natural activities. That means showing up in the culture. Somewhere along the way, we've aberrated a lot of scriptures. We will say, wait, the Bible says, be separate, come out from among them. Do you know the context of that? It doesn't mean what you think it means. It means holiness here and here, but we still live in the world. We're just not of the world, but we do live in it. And where we live, where we work, and where we play is where we are to show up and let Jesus' life leak out. That means Main Street. That means Christmas in Comfort. Christmas in Fredericksburg. It means showing up. You like going to a winery? Show up, but do it on purpose and with purpose. Bring Jesus with you and let your light shine in that place. One time our life group, we did this while we were here a couple of years ago. Uh, We showed up at, at, uh, at one of the wineries here, the little tasting rooms, and our whole group showed up, so we had our group there that night. And we prayed and we ministered and we read the word and we studied and we talked and we laughed a whole lot. Those people are going, wow, what are they drinking? I want whatever they're having. Man, we were having new wine. We were so just excited. And there are times when we've done our fellowships at some of those, they do these monthly meetings and whatnot. We'll show up there together as a group. Or we'll show up at the art walk and hang out together and enjoy Life, Enjoy what God has. A lot of Christians are so holy. <laughs> you could say it this way. They're so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. There you go. <laughs> I'm so spiritual. I can't be in the world. The world will taint me. No, he wants us to taint the world. That means showing up in places. That means going to a fundraiser for young life. Right. That means showing up and being in places where people are. That means going to the rodeo. The fairgrounds. But taking Jesus with you, that's being incarnational. That's what we're talking about. Listen to this. Here's what whimsical holiness. This is a new of my favorite words. Whimsical holiness is the ability to hold to your personal values of Christ's likeness. Get that? You're still who you are. Child of God. Son of God. Son of, daughter of the King. Prince, princess, while being deeply integrated in relationship with people who do not hold your same convictions. It's time. I'm about to get all preachy right here. It's time that we stop getting repulsed by people in the world and start loving the people in the world. Jesus, for God so loved the world. Wait a minute. I I thought they were our enemy. No, they're our target. Our enemy, we're supposed to be there with them. Jesus hung out with sinners, tax collectors, and what does that sign say? No perfect people allowed. I know there's not one literally up there, but it's up there. He hung out with imperfect people. In fact, the people that thought they were perfect, he had some pretty strong words for. They're called Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. He some really strong words for those folks. See, they were imperfect. They just didn't realize it. But the ones who did realize it, Jesus had compassion and empathy for. That is who we are called to live among and live an incarnational life. It's the ability to hold your personal values of Christ like this, while being deeply integrated in relationship with people who do not hold your same convictions. In other words, showing up in your cultural context. We call it here, where you live, where you work, and where you, dare I say it, play. There you go. Why do we think it's okay to show up where we live, where we work? But, and church, of course, we got to be holy here. But what about where you play? Some of you like to go dance. Good for you. You don't want me there. I don't have rhythm that way. I can play a guitar, but I can't move my feet. I'm just saying But for those of you who love to do that, why not show up, enjoy it, enjoy the people, get to know people, and be Jesus in that context. I remember I was a younger Christian. We lived in Midland. We were going to Mid-Cities Church, beautiful, wonderful church, enjoying our time there. And I started meeting with a group of guys, taking them through the Purple Book. And I was taking them through a basic discipleship, and one of the guys was a brand new follower of Jesus, and he worked for a beer distributorship, and he'd been working there for years. He didn't have an education, but he had put in like 12 years there, had advanced through the ranks, had a great job, huge influence, great guy. Then he got saved, and then he thought, I need to quit my job. So I remember having this conversation at the IHOP in Midland, Texas. And I remember sitting there, and he goes, he goes Jimmy, I, I, feel like I, I feel like I need to quit my job. I'm like, Why? He said, because, you know, we, we sell beer. He's like whispering. All of a sudden, it became this horrible thing. And I said, quit your job. Are you kidding me? Do you not realize that God airdropped you in there? That God knew the plan He had for your life? That He knew 12 years later after you started that job and as you advanced to the ranks, that at some point, He's going to go, finally. He stepped over the line. Finally, He said yes to my call. Now I've got Him right where I want Him, right in the middle of going to clubs and bringing in huge stacks of beer and product into all these places, I told him, I said, man, don't you dare quit that job. You You have more influence in the lives of people that I will never have a conversation with. I'll never hang out with that group of people, but you have huge influence in their life. They're already seeing the difference in you. He didn't quit his job. And he became a powerful witness in that world. But not by carrying a Bible around and suddenly, you know, he's got a whole stack of eight cases of beer and he throws a big Bible on it. No, he just lived Jesus and learned what it meant to leak out life. It's beautiful. He ended up getting married. It was awesome just watching that life develop. But isn't that crazy? How we want to—the first thing we do after we get saved or we start growing in Christ—we want to pull ourselves out of the world. And the Lord's like, "Wait a minute! I want you to be in there. I put you there. Could it be the job that you're in right now that you detest? Could be the very place God has dropped you in so you'll be an influence. You'll be a light. Oh, I'm messing with somebody right now. You'll be a light where you are, where you live, where you work." You carry Jesus into that place, but those people drop the f bomb. Dare I say that in church? These people—they say bad words, they tell terrible jokes—and these are the very people you're supposed to be influencing. There you go. God has put you in the best place ever to shine out. There you go. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this: Colossians one twenty-seven. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles—that's the non-Jews the glorious riches of this mystery. So now he's going to tell you what the mystery is, and here it is. I broke it down for you. Which is Christ in? And that word in, it's epsilon pneuma. It is a present participle. It literally means this, in, through, by, and which. And it all means it the same, depending on context. Here it literally says this, Christ in and through you. Christ in you, but Christ through you, is the hope. And look what hope is. Bible hope is not wishful thinking. It is joyful and confident expectation of a desired good. Amen. That is a whole lot bigger than the, than the Sears wish book or the J.C. Penney wish book. Remember that? This is not wishful thinking. This is fact. There you go. Joyful and con- I expect my hope in Christ is I expect to know. And look what it says. It's the hope of glory. Now, glory is this, again, Christianese. It's all this, uh, the glory cloud, this nebulous thing floating around, and there's, there's Jesus bubbles and flashes and stuff. No, no, we're talking about the presence of God in the Old Testament, it was called the kabod, and it was God's weighty glory. Weighty glory. His glory would show up in the temple, and no one could even stand in the temple because of his glory. You have a problem with people falling out, be careful about reading the Bible. Because they could not even stand in his presence. When he released his kabod, when he released his glory, the weight of it pushed him to the floor. It says the priest couldn't even stand in the temple to minister. Because of his kabod, his glory. This is what we're talking about. So here, here it is. Christ in and through me, the confident and joyful expectation that God's going to show up wherever I am at, where I live, where I work, and where I play. That is your call. That is your joy. That is your, that is your privilege. So quit trying to get out of your unchristian job and think that working in the church is so much fun. Come talk to me after. We will enlighten you. That's all I'm going to say about that, or I'm going to get myself in trouble real quick. Listen to this. John chapter five verse 17, Jesus said to them, "My Father, remember he's always on the move, He's always working. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working." Jesus is saying this. God's always moving. He's always working. We may not always perceive it, but He always is. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only. Someone say only. only. We're, saying, we're putting emphasis on that. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. You know what the secret to Jesus' success was? Is that He watched to see where God was working. He aligned Himself with that. And then He joined God in His work. We think Jesus had the red phone to God. Let me tell you something. When he was on this earth, he was the son of man. That means son of flesh. Born just like you and me. You know where he got his relationship with God? The same place we do through prayer and intimacy and conversation and worship. We somehow think Jesus had a red phone to God. Let me tell you, his phone was no more red than yours. But he had this perception, this understanding. I see God's working in that. I see God's moving in Lazarus. Wait, this is God. All right. God, I'm going to join God in his work, and we see a miracle. God moves through people. Here it is. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not the Baptist. John the baptizer. He was a forerunner. Look what it says. He came as a witness to testify. That's what a witness does. They take the stand and they answer the questions. He came to testify. The question that was being asked was this When is our Messiah coming? They had been asking it for hundreds of years, and then through the 400 year intertestamental period, where there was nothing, it was silent for 400 years. No prophetic word, nothing, no movement. And then suddenly John comes on the scene and he starts testifying and witnessing that Jesus is coming. He says this, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, Jesus, all might believe. Next two verses. He, John, himself was not the light. So he was coming to announce it, but he wasn't the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Remember when John, the disciple, wrote this book, the apostle. Not John the baptizer, different John. When he wrote it, he was not even in Jerusalem. He was in Ephesus at the time, because around 70 AD, all hell broke out in Jerusalem. And the temple was destroyed. Every stone was taken down to what you see now when you go to Israel, and it's a bunch of rubble. It's still there. It was taken apart, torn down, destroyed. And because of the volatility of the climate, John and other apostles were in other places for protection. And it was there that he wrote this gospel. Look what he says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He gives light to who? Everyone? Everyone? Everyone. (sighs) Don't you love where the Bible says, Whosoever shall come? Are you a whosoever? I'm a whosoever. I've been around people who say they're followers of Jesus, and they don't believe there's whosoever's. They believe there's a certain amount, there's a certain group, only this amount, only these people, and there's not a thing you can do about it. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a whosoever. That's it. According to God's Word, He's shining light into the world. He says this, you are the light of the world. Matthew, look what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking, you are the light of the world. We know Jesus is the light. You're the light. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to who? Everyone Everyone in the house. What he's asking us to do is to show up, to radiate, reflect, and leak out life and light. What a privilege. You think you're not supposed to go to those places anymore? Let me tell you, you should go, but you go equipped with your armor on. You go with the glory of God in you, ready to be released. You go where you go, where you live, where you work, and where you play, but you go, you go ready. You go prepared. Jesus answered, I am not a way, the way, not a truth, the truth, and not a life, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to land with this. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. No, I'm not going to sing. Let it shine. Let it shine. One more time. Let it shine. We're to show up and we're to let it shine. Look what he says. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Back to Matt Smeg. Our, our Hugh, Halter. Hugh Halter and Matt Smay wrote that book, The Tangible Kingdom. Last story, we'll close with this. I want the worship team, go ahead and make your way up. Hugh Halter was in Denver, Colorado. He had been a pastor, and he was destroyed in the ministry. Believe it or not, that happens. Felt like he'd flown his plane into the side of a mountain, and he was destroyed, he was done. Stick a fork in him, he's done. I don't want anything to do with organized church ever again. And he's running from God. And so he ends up in Denver, and he starts a painting company, because that's what pastors do. They, They go do something else. So he went and did something else. And so he's painting houses, building his business, feeling very at peace, but he's still who he is, and he keeps having conversations with people in his neighborhood. Well, Hugh also likes beer, so he brews craft beer in his home, and neighbors find out, hey, this guy, he knows how to make beer. So... They're coming over, and he starts to get to know the people on his block, and people start showing up at his house. They start having a weekly gathering. And then finally, somebody says, says you were a pastor, weren't you? And you are doing beer. He goes, yeah, I was. They said, maybe we should have a Bible study. He's like, no, no, no. I don't want this to turn to... And so he ends up doing a Bible study. He ends up talking to me, and this thing starts to grow, and people are showing up, and he wants nothing to do with this. He just wants to drink beer and hang out with people that are real. Because he's tired of fake people. Ooh, there you go. And finally, somebody says in one of the meetings, says, says, we should start a church. And he's like, no, he just goes into a tirade. No way, I'm not doing church. And another lady who's not even a follower of Jesus looks around and she says, we already are a church. She wasn't even a follower of Jesus yet. He's got this room full of unchurched, either non-churched, used-to-be-churched nuns, N O N E, and they're sitting around the room, and they go, we are a church. And Adullam was born, it's a Greek word, and it was born, and, and what happened is they just continued to meet and show up, and then they started another one, and they just do these block parties and house parties, and people started showing up because Hugh was leaking out everywhere he was going, Jesus. His light was still shining, even though he wasn't in a pulpit anymore. God has you maybe right where you are because you're supposed to be shining. I know. I don't, I don't know all your situations, but I've had jobs I didn't like. I do like this one, by the way. I'm pretty happy here. I do. I'm happy here. I love you. You make it fun. But I've been in jobs I didn't like. and that was in a job that put her into... PTSD, and I mean, it took her health out, almost destroyed her. It took years to get her back. It was so stressful. But while she was in that stressful job, she started talking to patients. It was a dental office, 14 employees, and she ran all 14, plus the two diva doctors. And she started praying with patients and talking to patients about Jesus And then one of the doctors said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's working. Long story short, she said, well, then I want to have a Bible. I want to have a little devotional and a prayer time before we start our day because they did these morning meetings. And she thought they were going to go, no way. They actually said, okay, go ahead. None of these people were going after God. In fact, that was what was so hard about it. In fact, they would invited a ghost into that. It's a long story. The, the place was built on a, on a bear, Confederate burial ground. So they had this thing, they, this ghost thing. Crazy stuff happened. She started, and they started praying. And then one morning, she was going to pray, and another girl who had never prayed, and, and Annette was shocked, said, I, I'll pray this time. And for the rest of the time that Annette was there in that hard, hard environment that took her health out, she let her light shine and she had so many, they started calling her Mama A. Because she was mothering all those girls and all those employees and bringing Jesus into a dark, dark place. That's what we're called to do. Yeah. That's right. Show up and shine out. And we do it through whimsical holiness. There you go. Just saying, God, if you can use me, use me right where I'm at. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I pray for my friends and my family and these people and our guests that are here. Father, I can't even imagine how many of these you have airlifted into what might be called enemy territory. You've dropped them in, you've airdropped them in because they're supposed to be there to take the gospel, to take the light, the good news, the life of Jesus into these hard places. And nobody else is going to go there, so you bring them there. You put them there and You give them a sphere of influence. You give them authority in that realm, so to speak. I pray for my friends right now. I I impart peace. I release shalom over your life in the name of Jesus. Just receive that shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. The peace of God that passes all understanding, that sets up a garrison and it guards your heart and it guards your mind in Christ Jesus. So I'll pray for my friends that are in tough job situations right now. Could it be, God, that you put them there for more than a paycheck? There's purpose behind the paycheck. There's a bigger story going on. If they're struggling in that, Lord, would you give them a different perspective on their job, a different perspective on that workplace that's hard. Help them see themselves as missional people, incarnational people, people who Christ wants to get out of them and through them in those tough places and give them grace to navigate the difficulty of it so that they hold their position so that Jesus can be revealed, can be represented represented in that environment. I just feel so strongly about that, beloved. There's some of you right now that are laboring under your job, and yet there's another purpose that's bigger than the job. It's bigger than, the, than what you're doing. It's, it's proximity, it's you being there is what matters. And you may think this job isn't good for me, but I'm telling you, you're good for them. There you go. You're good for them. You're there for a reason. Don't be too quick to bail, too quick to run. Unless the Lord leads you out, then he, he'll make it plain. But ask him, would you right now with your head bowed, your eye closed, those of you that uh, you identify with this and you're like, yeah, I'm in a tough situation. Maybe you're in a tough family situation. Could it be that you're supposed to be representing Jesus there? Could it be your hobbies and you're in other places and things that you love and enjoy doing, but it's, you're finding it difficult and you're finding it like, this is not bringing me joy anymore. Could it be you're supposed to be there, though, for a different reason? Could it be? Just ask Jesus, am I supposed to be there? I want to quit. I want to walk away. I want to leave. But am I supposed to be there? Or you have me there for another reason besides my enjoyment. Father, Holy Spirit, would you clarify that for all of us? That where we are is where we're supposed to be in this season. May not be forever, but... In this season, would you give us grace to find purpose wherever we find ourselves, where we live, where we work, where we play, that we would be incarnational people. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. We're going to close with a song. So don't run out too quick, but the prayer team is going to be here. If you need prayer for anything, we're here for you. And my prayer for you this week is go shine, go shine. Everywhere you live, work and play. Go let Jesus live his life in you, but also through you make a difference.